If you remember last week, we kicked off a sermon series about money, money, my money. Money, money, my money. Okay. Hey, erase that from the tape. We don't need people around the world here. That's that that sadness. All right. Uh, a, a series called Money Talks. Now, in this conversation, uh, I did it again. I never hit this clock thing. As I always say, the most ignored object in this room is my time clock. But in this conversation, we said that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament writers talked, they talked a lot about money. Why? Because money is one of God's chief competitors for our hearts, for our affections. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Question, how do we know? How do we know if our love for money, if our love for the things that money can buy us and the things that money enables us to do, how do we know if our love for money is competing with the love for God? Well, there's four clues that we looked at last Sunday that reveal if our love for money is competing with the love for God. Um, Clue number one was that we think that our money belongs to us. Clue number two, we think money can do for us what only God can do for us. Uh, We think that uh, that money uh, can give us hope, can give us joy, can give us security, but only God can give us living hope, lasting joy, and give us a rock-solid identity in Christ. Uh, The third clue was we think that giving God leftovers is acceptable. And number four was that, you know, we think or you think uh, the sermon is stupid, offensive, and not needed, right? Uh, you think it's offensive be, be, because, you know, you know, you know, who am I, right? Who, who am I to get up in your money drawer, right? As a, hey, preacher, that's my money drawer. You, you got no business in there, right? Some people are offended by that conversation. And some people think it's not needed because, Hey, you know what? You've been tithing for 74 years, right? And you got it down. Well, maybe God has something else he wants to teach you. But those are the clues. And and last week, I I challenged each of us to begin praying a very bold and and simple prayer in regards to our giving to the church and the cause of Christ. Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. And brothers and sisters, if we pray that prayer... And yeah, I know it's scary because we know that God will answer it, amen? Uh, just as he will answer our pray for one prayer, uh, a prayer we, we introduced back on March the 6th, right? A prayer that we want to be part of our DNA a, as a church. You know, we want to pray this every day until Jesus comes back. Lord, please show me someone who I can share your love with today, right? We, we want to pray that every day. And I can guarantee you God wants to answer those two prayers, it's kind of like, you know, if a teenager were to go to his, his mom or dad and say, hey, is it okay if I clean my room, right? And, and, I mean, like we know the answer, right? Yeah, you can clean your room. Obviously, of course. And so God will answer these prayers. And, and Maple Grove, I, I'm convinced that praying these two simple prayers will radically change our lives and impact and the impact of this church in ways far beyond and immeasurably more than we could ever Imagine. Uh, Understanding, praying for one 
and having the resources to pay for one, right? We'll put uh, this city, this church on a hill. Uh, we'll put our lamp on a lampstand. And so here's a question I just want to ask you, you know, will you join me, you know, in, in praying these two prayers? You know, you know, Lord, please give me someone to share your love with today. It could be anywhere. It could be in your house, in your neighborhood. It could be at the checkout line, at the restaurant, where you work. And Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. And then in your notes or in your head, I have this, you know, you know will you do this in, in a yes or a no? And I'll tell you what, the more yeses we get, oh baby, look out. Some serious God stuff is fixing to happen. Now this morning as we wrap up this two-week conversation when he talks, we'll be looking at two investors that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 16. Two guys who will help us answer the question, what are we living for? Are we living for the here and now or are we living for eternity? And our study this morning, it will be a study in contrast. A contrast between the two investors that Jesus talked about during the final weeks of his life. The first is in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 15. Uh, Jesus said, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And he gave an illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know I'll tear, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night, and who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. That's investor number one. Investor number two from Luke 16. Uh, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he said to the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So what, what do you think about this guy so far? I mean, would you make him your personal accountant? You know, probably not, right? Uh, probably not. And, and, and now it gets really interesting and kind of unpredictable, right? If you don't know the story, you wouldn't expect the master to reply this way. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's wealth, or property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. 
Either he'll hate the one and love the others, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the others. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your scripture. And God, I pray that today you would open up our hearts and our minds. God, that we would hear your truth as it is words from the one true, almighty, always existing, living God. God, I pray that you enable me to share your truth in, in a way that makes sense. God, I, 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 pray, I pray for open minds, open hearts, open ears. And God, I pray that because of what we do here, the treasure will be stored up in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. A while back, I pulled off a, a book off the shelf at Barnes & Noble's called The Intelligent Investor. I flipped through a, uh, the early chapters, and there was a chapter called The Sure Thing That Wasn't. And I thought, awesome, I can maybe use this in my sermon. It talked about investments that looked safe but turned out to be disasters. You see, not only can you make a lot of money investing, but you can also what? You can lose a lot of money. One example of a sure thing that wasn't was called Monument Internet Fund. It had a 117.3% return in its first five months. So in just five months, your money would, would more than double. 5000 would be over $11,000. The fund manager predicted that the fund would gain 50% a year over the next three years and would have an annual average of 35% over the next 20 years. A $10,000 investment in in those 20 years would be worth $4 million. But things didn't turn out as predicted. In fact, $10,000 invested in May of 1999 was only worth $2,000 by the end of 2002, a 500% decrease. Another sure thing that wasn't was a fund called uh, Ameriendo Technology. It it grew 250% in 1999. A $5,000 investment would be worth $18,000 in just a year. The fund manager said the growth would continue and that investors did not like tenfold growth, they could invest somewhere else. But again, things did not work out as predicted. Instead, a $10,000 investment in 1999 by 2002 was worth $1,195, an 836% decrease. The book said it was one of the worst destructions of wealth in the history of mutual funds. No, not all investments are safe, are they? In 1929, millions of Americans found that out, right, as the stock market fell and the Great Depression was born. And recently, millions once again found out that their investment, even the all-time safe investment of real estate, things were not as safe as they thought when in 2008, with the perfect storm of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, subprime loans, and a lot of other not-so-fun economic stuff happened, and the U.S. lost, according to the GAO, the Government Accountability Office. Didn't know we had one? I don't think they're doing I think We need some new people there, all right? I'll just say it. I never knew we had a GAO, but they're not doing so well. Uh, but they said that, that we lost, America lost $22 trillion in wealth. Now, trillion's a huge number, right? Hard to get our brains around. Here's a, a little short animation of what $1 trillion looks like. Check this thing out. I agree. That's just crazy, right? Wow, that is nuts. Anyhow, understand, despite what brokers, 
financial advisors and other Wall Street wonders tell us there's only one fail-safe and secure investment, and it has nothing to do with building worldly wealth. First point in your notes is two investors. Again, in Luke 12, we meet our first investor, the fool. And listen, when it came to building worldly wealth, this guy was the man. I mean, he made all the right investments. Every stock he picked was a winner. Every risk he took paid huge dividends. I mean, he just kept getting richer and richer. He had more money than he could spend in a hundred lifetimes. What a great investor. And understand, if he were, if he were alive today, you would find his book, My Barns Are Overflowing, How to Eat, Drink, and Be Merry in Just 30 Minutes a Day on the shelves at Barnes & Nobles and at the top of Amazon's bestseller list. And then Jesus tells us that this great investor, at least great in the eyes of the world, that he dies. And now I, I want to pick up his story from there, but with a 21st century spin. His death was a major story in the financial community. His obituary was written up in Forbes in the Wall Street Journal. And it's too bad that he was dead because he would have loved to hear all the wonderful things that people were saying about him. They had a memorial service for him, and because he was so prominent, the whole community and all the major networks were there. His passing was a lead story on every channel and was trending all over Twitter and Facebook. The moral service was massive. It filled an entire arena, and important and wealthy people got up to eulogize him. He was an innovator, a master of new technology, one of them said. Someone else said he was one of the leading entrepreneurs of his day. He left an unparalleled impact on the entire world. He was a man of principle, said a third person. He was a straight arrow. He would never cheat on his taxes, on his expense account, or on his wife. Someone else noted his civic achievement. This man was a pillar in the community. He knew everybody, and everybody wanted to know him. And then they even erected a memorial to this man, and they, they wrote inspiring words on it. Leader, innovator, entrepreneur, visionary, success. Especially that word. Because he gave his life for that word success. They buried his body. They, uh, they put up the marker and they all went home. And when it was dark and there was no one present to observe, unseen, unheard, the angel of God comes to this cemetery and makes his way through all the other graves, comes to the marker, and there traces with one finger the single word that God chose to assess this great investor's life. Do you remember what that word was? Fool. Yes, a person is a fool, Jesus says, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, you may be wondering why such harsh language. I mean, Jesus doesn't usually use language like this, but listen, Jesus is not engaging in name-calling. You see, the Greek word translated fool is a compound word that literally means without mind or without reasoning. Understand, when Jesus calls this man a fool, he's making a tragically accurate diagnosis. For you see, despite all this man's business brilliance, despite his market savvy, despite all of his cost-benefit analysis and cash flow projections, there was one scenario, scenario that he forgot or did not take very serious in any of his forecasting, his death. He forgot that he was going to die. Therefore, he was living without a mind, without reason. He was living for the here and now for things that will not last. And understand, Maple Grove, nothing we chase after, pursue, or hold on to in this world will last. 
Peter put it this way in 2 Peter. The day of the Lord's return will surprise us like a thief. No one knows when. The heavens will disappear with a loud noise and the heat will melt the whole universe. Then the earth and everything on it will be seen for what they are, worthless and temporary. Everything will be destroyed. God calls this investor a fool. And brothers and sisters, 2,000 years later, God still stands amazed at the folly of any human being, no matter how smart or educated, who painstakingly prepares for every contingency, who covers every base, no matter how unlikely, and then forgets the one inevitable certainty that stares all of us in the face, which is we are all going to die one day. What other word Jesus asked do you use to describe such folly, a human being so consumed with building up his kingdom as if it were to last that he doesn't have any time for the kingdom of God which will endure forever. What other word do you use to describe a person who's so busy making a living that he, he doesn't make a life, that, that, that's so busy making a living that he doesn't prepare for his and forever life? Now let's take a look at the investor in Luke 16, the smart guy. You, you know, when Jesus calls a guy in Luke 12 a fool, I kind of get it. I, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But when Jesus commends the guy in Luke 16 and tells us to be like him, I, it, it kind of makes me scratch my head. It's like, I don't get it. Jesus, the guy's a crook. I mean, he's ripping people off. He got fired. And then he runs a huge scam that makes Enron and Bernie Madoff look honest. However, Jesus is not commending this guy for being dishonest, but for being shrewd. For being shrewd. What pictures come to your mind when you hear the word shrewd? Are they positive or negative? Like, like if I were to introduce you to a first-time guest today and I'd say, hey, I want you to meet so-and-so. You know, he or she is the shrewdest person in our entire church. Okay? Would you feel that I just complimented you or would you be looking for another church? Yeah, so the word has always fired up negative images to me. You know, shrewd is someone who will do whatever it takes to whatever he has to do in order to get what he wants. And so for years, I've never liked the word shrewd, and I never, I never liked this parable because it just didn't make sense to me. And then I did some research on the original Greek word, and I found out that the Greek word translated shrewd means to think, to understand, to be wise, to be smart. In fact, Jesus uses the same word when he concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, same word, who built his house on rock. So to be shrewd is to be wise. Tell the person to your right and left, come on, dude, let's be shrewd. <laughs> or, or yo, dude, let's be shrewd. You welcome your shrewdness, right? You know, and of all the translations, the New Century version got it right. They said, they worded it this way. So the master praised the dishonest manager for being smart. Yes, worldly people are smarter with their own kind than spiritual people are. I, I tell you, make friends for yourself using worldly riches so that when those riches are gone, you'll be welcome in those homes that continue forever. And why was this investor in Luke 16 called smart for at least three reasons. Number one, because he realized that his job would soon be gone. He wasn't in denial. 
Number two, because he realized that as long as he still had his job, he could still use his job to impact his future. And number three, he took immediate action. He didn't procrastinate, but quickly invested his job immediately in order to secure his soon approaching future. And in like matter, Jesus will call us shrewd, smart and wise, when we also realize that one day all of our money and resources will be gone, and in response, we use what we have while we have it to secure and impact our eternity, our forever in heaven. Get it? Good. Okay, now the next point in your notes is five lessons, and I want to talk about five lessons that we learned from these two investors, and I'm going to use the word money in an acrostic to do this. And the M in the word money stands for material stuff all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. Question, have you ever played the game Monopoly? Now, the goal of Monopoly is the same as the goal for any game, to win. And the Monopoly to win means that you own all of the most expensive property and most of the railroads, and you have tons of houses and hotels, and of course, Lots of cash. Ever played a game? Ever win? Anybody ever win a Monopoly? Ever do well? I mean, ever have tons of cash and more hotels than a Holiday Inn? I mean, I mean, it's fun to win, right? It's fun to have all that stuff. I mean, raise your hand if you like to win. Okay? Look around. For those that didn't raise their hand, that's who we want to play with next week, right? Okay? <laughs> I mean, they like to lose. You're on my team. You're on the other team, rather. Uh, turn to the person right left and say, winning is fun. Winning is fun. But let me ask you a question. What happens when the game is over? You know what? I'll show you exactly what happens when the game is over. Every house, every hotel, every expensive piece of property, all the cash, all my railroads, it all goes where? It all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. I understand when the foolish guy in Luke 12 died, all of his stuff, every barn and everything that was in those barns went back in the box. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not a bad thing to play the game well, but we need to remember that the game always ends. Tell the person to your right and left, the game always ends. It always ends. I mean, every day you can pick up a newspaper, and back in the olden days, this was this thing that they would deliver to your house that you could open up, and if you weren't using it to beat your dog with, you know, you'd open it up, and you know, there. But anyhow, um, you could turn to this page that describes people for whom this week the game ended. Friday morning, I went online on the Daily Progress website, and I clicked on the obituaries that listed those who recently died. And I saw that for Polly Swift, Henry Brown, and Ross Friedland, the game ended on Monday. For James Mays, the game ended on Tuesday. For Woodrow Davis, the game ended on Tuesday. By the way, Woodrow Davis what uh, was Ginger Ainge's dad, and I'm here to tell you that Woodrow Davis played the game very well. He was a Jesus follower for 50-plus years, and now he's enjoying his eternal reward in heaven. 
For Evelyn Sprouse, the game ended on Wednesday. For Carl Hunter, the game ended on Thursday. Understand, every one of these people were here last week, and they're all gone today. Maple Grove, the game ends for approximately two people in the world every second. That's 107 every minute. In fact, the game will end for about 8,500 people in the world while you sit in this room today. And to be honest, it, 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 it's, it's getting more freaky and not so much fun to scroll through obituaries the older I get, knowing that one day my name will be on it. Or, or sitting in a funeral service like I, I did on Friday, looking around and realizing, hmm, <laughs> you know, one day, one day, I'll be one of them. Maple Grove, one day for me, for you, for the person to your right and to your left, the game will end. We will die. And it will all go back in the box. Houses, cars, jewelry, clothes, bank accounts, stocks, bonds, even our body will all go back in the box. Now, now there's a simple two-word question that the man in Luke 12 never, never asked himself. It's the question, then what? Then what? You see, he thought, his, he thought his problem was he had too much stuff and not enough closet space. Question, what do you think your biggest problem is? His assumption was that his wealth would last. He just needed a bigger place to put it. And, that, and he never thought to ask himself, when I finally have enough, when the barn is full and I'm financially secure, then what? Question, when you finally get the ultimate possession, when you finally make the ultimate purchase, when you buy the ultimate home, when you pull off the ultimate business deal, when you climb the ladder of success to the highest rung you possibly can climb and the thrill wears off and it will always wear off when you've stored up enough financial security to retire comfortably, then what? I mean, how important is all that? Will all that stuff be in the end or should I say at our end? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Don't you know, God asks, how quickly life passes? It's fast. Man, you, you know, t -t today, it, it, my, my oldest today turns 32. Uh, you know, here's a picture of her. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's Chelsea probably maybe a year and a half. You know, like, I remember that like it's yesterday. I remember that little bike. I remember there's our Celica GT in the back there. I remember that carport. I remember living in Navy houses in Yorktown. I remember, I love, I wish I still, I love that yellow sweatshirt, man. I, I keep things until they're all worn out. And it seems like it was just yesterday. What is your life, James says? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Moments come and years fly and we cannot stop them and we cannot control them. And one day the final moment of our life will come and we cannot control that either. And Jesus says that anybody who goes through life, no matter how well they played the game, no matter how much wealth and stuff they stored up, no matter how many square feet their home is, no matter how many great things the world is saying about them, no matter how much stuff they're able to leave their children and yet doesn't prepare for the moment when they, like every, every person who's ever lived, will stand before the judgment seat of a holy God holding in their hands a huge and unpayable debt 
and is not prepared for that is not smart, is not wise, but instead is a fool. In reality, is a terrible investor because it all goes back in the box. Get it? Good. So how are you feeling? <laughs> Good? I want to share some words we read this week um, from John chapter 14. If you're doing our first 90, faith comes from hearing. It's a great reminder to us as we consider our approaching death. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you When everything is ready, or you're ready, (laughs) I will come and get you so so that you will always be with me where I am. I understand death for for believers, as Paul says, is gain, is victory. Death for us is life. Amen? Amen? M, material stuff all goes back in the box. O, only what you send ahead will last. I tell you, use your earthly wealth to earthly resources to benefit others and make friends. And this way, your generosity stores up a rich reward for you in heaven. Understand, God does want us to store up wealth, just not here. And Jesus could not have made that any clearer than he did in that great sermon he preached on the mountains near the Sea of Galilee. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Three questions. Where are we to store up treasure? In heaven. Uh, Why will that treasure last? Why is it safe? Because nothing in this world can get at it. And who are those treasures for? For you. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see what Jesus is saying? In heaven, there's like this huge bank and every believer has an account there. And, and, and what Jesus is saying, man, I, you have an account there and send it up. Send up as much treasure as you want. Go for it. The N in money stands for now is the time to make your deposit. Understand the fool in Luke 12 lived his life by the falling philosophy. Hey, I'll get around to what matters one day. Yeah, I'll make those heavenly des- deposits when things settle down. Ever said anything like that? Things settle down when the kids go to preschool, well, when they get out of elementary school, well, they're out of high school, when they're out of college, when the grandkids are older, when things settle down, when I retire, when things settle down. Let me tell you when things will settle down for you, when you die. <laughs> I mean, you'll be amazed at how the pace of your life is going to slow down when they put you six feet in the ground. I mean, you'll be amazed. But it's not going to settle down until then. Understand, if you're waiting for things to settle down before you get around to doing what really matters in life, you'll never do what God made you to do. You'll never get back to the world the things God created you to give back. Remember, you're God's masterpiece, uh, God's workmanship, the Greek word. You're God's poem, right? There's something... There's something that God wants to say to to the world through you, and he cannot say it through anybody else. It's unique to you. If you keep waiting um, for things to settle down, you'll never become the person that God created you to be. The fool says, hey, I got time. 
I got time. I'll make my deposits. I'll do the right stuff. I'll live the right way. I'll invest what God says matters when things settle down. Now, the smart guy in Luke 16 lives by a totally different philosophy. I mean, he finds himself in a situation. And he starts thinking, oh, man, this is not good. I'm in deep trouble. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be begging. I'm going to be on the streets. What am I going to do? And then, bam, bam, it hits him. I don't know what I'll do. Well, I still have my job. I'll use it to my advantage. I'll use it to secure my future. And I'm going to start using it right now. And so he pulls out his cell phone, speed dial as he's logging onto the internet, and he starts using his present wealth to secure his soon approaching future. And Jesus wants you and I to embrace that same philosophy. Hey, I don't have much time. My life is a mist. So, so, so I need to start investing in what really matters today. I, I need to start making those heavenly deposits now. And if you're alive, guess what? You still have time to do it. Praise God, right? What about you? Some, some mornings I wake up, and I'm just so thankful I woke up because I'm, I'm messed up. And I go, like, well, I'm still alive. I still got another day maybe to get it right, right? You know, I, I, I thank you, God, for another day, for breath in my body to get it right. Now's the time to make the deposits. How do we make deposits? By investing in what really matters. And listen, what really matters, what ultimately matters is loving God loving people, and living for his mission. That's it. That's what really matters. Loving God, loving people, and living for his mission. Therefore, a smart person, a person who does not live foolishly, who does not live without a mind or without reason, will invest their time, their talents, and their treasure in God, in his kingdom, in his church, in his people, and they'll do it now because none of that stuff goes in a box. All of that stuff Get sent on ahead. Get it? Good. Brothers and sisters, when you invest in God and the people that matter to God, your investments take on an eternal significance. And listen, people who get it, right, when we get it, we will stay up late at night trying to figure out ways that we can leverage our resources and invest in ways that will make a difference in eternity, right? Not, not a gift, difference in here and now, but a difference in eternity forever. Now, of course, we can store up treasures in heaven in other ways and just being generous with their money, but the focus of this message is about using your money to store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Remember, Jesus said, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends, and this way your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Maple Grove, when you bring your offering on Sunday, when you bring your prayed about planned percentage giving to this church, you're storing up treasure in heaven. You're helping Maple Grove establish a Jesus presence in this community. You're helping us build a place where people can develop a life-changing connection to Jesus Christ, a connection where they will experience God's grace, get healed, get a fresh start, find God, break free of addictions, find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment, and become the people that God created them to be. Now, last week, someone asked me after, after service, you know, like, where do you give your tithe? Do you give it to your church or just give it to anywhere? And I said, you know, I said, here's what makes sense to me. What makes sense to me is you give your tithe to the church where you attend, you know, to help make that church strong, to enable that church to do the things that God wants the church to do, because it takes resources for a church to accomplish her mission, right? So we give it to the church. And then we give beyond that to other things, right? You know, um, 
And, and there's many ways to be generous beyond just giving to the church. You can sponsor your child through Compassion International, right? Or some other organization. Uh, you, you can help put food on somebody's table. You can adopt an orphan from overseas. You can give a few bucks to somebody in need, right? You can open up your home and your refrigerator to other people. Uh, you can give somebody a place to stay when they have no place to stay, right? You can loan someone your car when their car is broke down. And listen, when we do those things, right, we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, guys, let's get shrewd about this, right? I mean, let's think of ways that we can use what we have, what God has given us to love God, love people, and to help fulfill his mission of seeking and saving the lost, reaching the one. Amen? And one more thing before we move on. God's economy is different from ours. You see, in God's economy, it's not, about, it's not about the amount that you give. It's about why you give and how much it costs you, the sacrifice behind it. In the final week of Jesus' life, he goes into the temple and he watched the rich people putting their gifts into the collection box. They probably dropped it from like 10 feet, right? Ding. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two pennies. I assure you, he said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor, and remember, there, there's no social security, there's no Medicare, there's no social programs. You know, she, she has nothing, no support system. Well, she did, God. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And I am confident that in eternity, this widow is going to get a return on those two pennies that is going to blow her mind. Brothers and sisters, now is the time to make the deposit. Get it? Good. I, I had a lady come up in fir, after first service last week, um, Danny, her, her, her husband's deployed, he's 30 days, he's coming back home, he's been gone five months, she's, you know, been a single mom for five months with four children, and, and she came up and talked about how she didn't grow up in the church, but her husband did, and he had always tithed, and she didn't, but she handled the finances because her husband deployed so much, and, you know, he said, hey, we really need to tithe, but he didn't force her, you know, he just kind of suggested it, and and finally, she decides, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to tithe. And, and, and end of the month, yeah, $250 short. She's like, wait, 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 wait. Look what happened. I, I knew we shouldn't do this. But before that month actually ended, a check showed up in the mailbox um, for $300. Um, they had overpaid on the house they had just bought. And, and, uh, and she said, God doesn't always drop her a check in the mailbox. He blesses in other ways. But in this initial step she took, God needed to show up with a check in the mailbox. Amen? And she's still doing it to this day. The E stands for every heart tells their story. Uh, Jesus said, right after talking about the, the foolish investor, he says in this passage, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. I know being in your money drawer freaks you out, 
for your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for ourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, heard that before, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, find someone's treasure and you find their heart. Find where people spend their time, their talents, and their money, and you'll find what is really important to them. Follow the money. Question, are you concerned about the price of Apple stock? Would you be more interested if you had 1,000 shares of it? (laughs) Yeah, you would. You'd be like, yeah. Listen, No matter how much we may like it not to be this way, Jesus says if something does not have our treasure, it does not have our heart. In other words, if Jesus, if his church, if his his work, if his kingdom does not have our money, it doesn't really have us. Get it? (laughs) Good. That's tough. Now, there's this awesome book called The Generosity Factor. It's kind of a modern-day parable. The two main characters are the broker and the executive. The broker is extremely rich, lives in New York, has it all, money, status, a huge office on Wall Street. But one day as he's walking into the building that bears his name through the, you know, the, uh, you know, the uh, marble line atrium, a disturbing thought hits his mind. Why do I feel so dreadfully insignificant? And not long after that, he reads an article in his favorite financial paper about some guy out in Denver He was a wealthy businessman who claimed that the greatest joy in his life was to give money away. The executive, the broker rather, was skeptical, so he goes out there and plans a visit with the executive. He spends a week with the old guy, and he's blown away by the way this guy lives. He tells the broker that, hey, I I don't work to get, I I work to give. And he tells him how how he's tied to his church for 50 plus years and how he gives money to the young people who work with him uh, so they can go to college, and he gives money uh, to the young people who work with him so they can go on mission trips, and how he has 12 homes across the country where young people who, who are in difficult times can live and, and find help, and how he's helped thousands of kids in this way, and they all call him Grandpa. The bottom line of the book is that the executive teaches the broker that a significant life is far more fulfilling than a successful life, and that giving is the greatest enjoyment in life. He calls it the generosity factor. And he says that it, it all is about having a changed heart. And, and then he, the executive gives the, uh, the broker an acrostic of the word heart that he said he uses this, this acrostic to ensure that his heart is always in the right place. And this is in your notes. H, he owns it all. E, every day is an opportunity. A, action is required. R, remember your blessings. T, thank him. You know, it's a great book, an inspiring book, and actually the book is based on, you know, all the stories are true in the book. It's based on the life of a, of a guy who, who made chicken sandwiches incredible, you know, uh, True Cathy. It's about, the book is about True Cathy and how he lived his life. See, the story of, of True Cathy's heart was the story of giving to help other people. Question, what story does your heart tell? What story does my heart tell? The why, as we wrap up, the why, your decision will impact eternity. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the decision, my decision and your decision, our decision is will we use 
Will we serve God or will we serve money? We cannot serve both God and money, but we can serve God with money. And that is what a wise, smart, shrewd investing is all about. Serving God, worshiping God, fulfilling God's purposes with our money and our resources. And brothers and sisters, that is something worth living for. Amen? Amen. Maple Grove Money Talks. Who do you love? What are you living for? Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. Money. Material stuff all goes back in the box. Only what we send ahead will last. Now is the time to make your deposits. Every heart tells its own story, right? Your investment impacts eternity. You see, the decision each of us is making today, March the 20th, first day of spring, 2016, about giving our financial resources to his work will impact eternity, ours and the eternities of countless others across the world. I understand that there are eternities all over the globe from Seaville and beyond whose lives and eternities are hanging in the balance. Brothers and sisters, give and your heart will follow. Give and the cultural idol of money is rendered impotent in your life. Give and you'll no longer be wasting or mismanaging your master's resources. Give and your confidence in the lordship of Jesus increases greatly. Give and you will trust God like never before. Give and your prayers will be bolder. Give and heaven will be multiplied. I I, want to close with a quote from uh, one of my new favorite pastors, uh, Bo Chancey up in New Hampshire. Uh, and here's a quote from him. It's going to pop up on the screen. You know, God expects, God expects, turn to the person to your right and left and say, God expects. God expects you to use every resource at your disposal to advance his mission. Nothing is to be held back. Nothing is off limits. Whether you have a little or a lot is not the issue. The issue is whether or not what you have is purposefully put to work to build God's kingdom. Money talks. Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. Amen? Would you all stand? We're going we're gonna to sing a song. It's the uh, first time we, we, we've done it here. It, it's, it's like, it's so awesome. <laughs> it's so good. Um, at the cross, Chris Tomlin, and it is just so powerful. You know, and, and, and there's a line in there, you know, at the cross, I surrender my life, right? And that's what it's about, right? I mean, this world wants us to be like this with our resources. You know, God has blessed us with resources, and you know, God wants us to surrender those to him and his glory. And I, I guarantee you, if we do that, if you do that and I do that, like that little widow who dropped in just two pennies, you know, we will not be disappointed. I mean, God will bless us and reward us 
for our generosity and sacrifice for his kingdom and for his cause. Amen? And if you're here today and, you know, maybe you, you've never yet surrendered to him. You know, you've known about him, thought about him. And maybe it's the day, the day that you say, you know, I want to surrender my life to you at the cross. I, I, I want to, you know, I want to confess my faith in you, that I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and, and I want to be buried in the waters of, of baptism. I want to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, whatever decision that God has put in your heart, I encourage you to do that. Uh, Father God, we love you, and, and God, we thank you, and, and God, thank you for loving us and being patient with us, and, and God, God, thank you for the fact, God, that, that, that we can invest in something that will last. It's a fail-safe, secure investment to invest in, in other people and to invest in your kingdom and to invest in your mission, God. And, and God, I, I pray that we'll just be a generous people, God, and I pray that as we sing this song and as we move into a time of communion, God, that you will just bring each of us to the cross and we'll just surrender ourselves to him. In Jesus' name. Amen.